Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hi, I want to welcome everyone to the Journey to Success radio show. A special thanks out to Tom Tutal Cunningham for allowing me to sit behind his mic today. My name is Chuck Bellina, and I am a personal development coach. I work with Jim Shorkey, and our company is called Results from Thinking. We're located out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My whole goal is to help you become a better you, and we do that by educating people on the power of their thoughts, helping them close the gap between the goals they want and the results they achieve. I have the privilege of speaking with Chris Boss today. Chris is CEO of the Black Swan Group and author of Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if your life depended on it. A 24-year veteran of the FBI, Chris retired as their lead international kidnapping negotiator. His company specializes in solving business communication problems with hostage negotiation solutions. In addition to the FBI, Chris's expertise draws from Harvard's program on negotiation, Scotland Yard, and the Kellogg School of Business. His negotiation methodology centers around the Black Swan's small piece of information they have a huge effect on an outcome. Not only does Chris believe the negotiation process needs to be tailored to draw out their complexities, but also he and his team negotiate in a way that has a huge impact on influencing an outcome. Chris and his team have helped companies secure and close better deals, save money, and solve international communication problems. Chris, are you there? Holy cow. That, that stuff sounds crazy. Are you sure you read all that right? <laughs> I think I screwed a few things up, but I, uh, I did. It's, you have an incredible career and a background. I'm excited to be able to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great, man. I'm, uh, I'm good. I, I, I did not accidentally win an Oscar last night. I didn't have one of those pulled out of my hands, so my life is really good. <laughs> good to the hear. Real Donald Trump is not mad at me either, so you know he's not, he's not calling me names on Twitter. I mean, I'm, I'm living a charm life right now. That's right. You're not getting being famed on Twitter right now by anyone, so that's a good thing. Um, Chris, I'm excited to talk to you. Your background, I have a military background. I was in the Air Force. Um, I understanding what you do and how you do it. And, uh, it's amazing. What an incredible career. Uh, it sounds like you had a lot of fun over the years. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, um, and I think that was the key to all of it. I mean, I, somehow I managed to always work with people who were having fun doing what they were doing and we got a lot farther as a result. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. Very cool. So, um, you know, so when I sit down with people, sometimes I'll joke with them. I, so being a coach, I'll, I'll sit with them and, I'll, and they might be older, they might be older than me. And, and I'll start out by saying, so what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, at some point, you had to figure out what you wanted to do when you grew up. How did your FBI career begin and how did you end up doing high stakes negotiating for them? No, man, everything fell out of the sky. And um, yeah, I, I just sort of followed the path that, that, that was either laid out in front of me or that I got smacked into. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a cop and 
I became a police officer at Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, phenomenal city and a wonderful police department. And then, uh, you know, the, the thought of going federal got planted in my head and uh, ended up with the FBI. You know, I went up to I-80 and made it right and ended up in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know that road very well. <laughs> um, when I coach people um, on pursuing their passion, I find that many people struggle with the concept of making changes and a lot of times fear the unknown. And everyone has a day one when they begin something new. Uh, it could be the first day of school. It could be the first day on the football field or maybe even the first day on the job. Uh, if you can recall, can you tell me what it was like your first day as being an FBI negotiator? Oh, well, she had been an agent for a while. The first day as a negotiator, I mean – you uh, typically, uh, well, you can't you can't become a negotiator until you've been an FBI agent for a while. Now that while okay. sort of varies. Sure. Uh, and you come out of training and you're ready to rock. And actually, the first thing that happened the weekend I was back, um, I missed an opportunity, and that taught me a valuable lesson um, because uh, I didn't go. I mean, um, initiative and um, you know, you wonder whether or not you should or you shouldn't means you should. And I wondered whether or not I should go, and I didn't go. There was an incident. A woman drove a van into the front gate of the United Nations. And I saw it going down on TV, and I nobody called me. Nobody asked me to go. And so I called my supervisor, who was a very um, uh, conflict-avoidant type person at that point in time. He said, anybody call you? I said, no. He said, well, don't go. And um, it was resolved by NYPD. And uh, Monday I was following up and, and the woman that had recruited me um, for the negotiation team said, look, uh, if you ever want to go, just go. You can, people can always say you're not needed once you show up and, and they might, and they might, you know, equivocate on that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I, re- I remember that a lot. And so then from that point forward, it was like, go, you got to go. You got you to gotta get out there. If you got a skill and you're wondering whether or not you should go, you should go. Jump in. Yeah. Whatever, whatever anybody's doing, jump in. A lot of people don't make a decision. And they sit. And yeah, they, they don't. That, well, and, you know, the old saying not to decide is to decide. And I now understand much more how the brain works. I mean, uh, we still get this caveman thing wired into our brain you know, the fight, flight, or uh, make friends mm-hmm. respond to conflict that kept us alive, kept prehistoric man alive, which was imagine more tragedies than actually might happen. It's very defensive. It's designed to keep you alive, to keep you from getting bit by snakes or eaten by saber-toothed tigers. But that's not a problem anymore. You know, we can survive these mistakes, and, and right. we should. And so we should go after stuff instead of letting um, the fear of the unknown hold us back, which is our single biggest uh, um, restraint and, and living a prosperous life. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, anything that people do in life of great significance requires passion, persistence, and a underlying reason for doing it, sort of a why behind what they do. Simon Sinek talks a lot about whys. Uh, you obviously had a passion and a desire to do what you've been doing uh, in your career with the FBI. Um, what was your why behind what you did? I know you said it kind of felt uh, you know, I just, there had to have been some driving force behind you. I think I just wanted to have fun and do good. 
if that I know that sounds sort of uh, sugary, like uh, that's so sweet it might give you diabetes, right? <laughs> but um, you know, I just I I wanted to do something that that helped. I like helping people get better. It's a thing, you know. The big the biggest kick I get out of my book, Never Split the Difference, is when people get back to me and tell me that they used it to make their lives better. They made a great deal, or they made uh, they had a better conversation with their spouse or they solved the problem with their kids. You know, I love that. I love helping people do better. I, I get a big charge out of that, so maybe that's very selfish on my part. But I like helping people, I like doing good, I like mattering, I like I like that my life, you know, I, I, I kid myself that my life matters, <laughs> you know, and, I do what I can. That's important, I, um, and it's, I would say that there is a return uh, on investment for you, it, it fulfills you. But it's not a selfish act because you have to bring value to someone else's life first before you receive that. And I think that's noble. And yeah. I think that's why I do what I do as well. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I'll, I, I can clearly see that. I mean, that's why, you know, we're on the phone right now. That's why I'm on your show because you're helping people out. You're helping people get better. And I think that's awesome. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, so you're currently the CEO of Black Swan Group, and you the Black Swan Group. Say that again. Well, you got to put a the in front of that, you know, like the Black Swan Group. Is, that, or is, cool. it, is it just Black Swan Group? I don't know. Uh, it's the Black Swan Group. Oh, I, I didn't put the. I apologize. Um, so you're the CEO of the Black Swan Group, and you specialize in solving business negotiating challenges uh, with with what you've learned in the FBI as far as hostage negotiating, crisis negotiating. Um, when did you realize these skills that you've developed over a long period of time had a place in the business sector? Well, I, I first started to suspect uh, when I was volunteering on this crisis hotline that I had to do before I was a negotiator. Mm -hmm. And that stuff had such an impact on people's lives. I thought, why should this only be in a, in a high intensity situation, if this is, if this makes for better relationships, if this makes for more effective communication faster, um, why does, should it be confined? Why, why can't we use it? You know, and why can't we have rapport? Why can't we have a better relationship? Why can't we be more collaborative? Why can't we get to the heart of the matter more effectively instead of being constantly on a gerbil wheel of lots of effort and no progress? So actually, when I first started way back when uh, on the suicide hotline back in 1992, eight billion years ago, <laughs> I, I thought, let's try this stuff out on day-to-day -day people. See, see what works. And you found that it worked. Yeah, I started to apply it in my, in, in my personal life, and I started to learn more about it. Um, I started to apply it in my business life. You know, then I get trained as a hostage negotiator. Okay. And I continued to apply it. And then, and then I was a hostage negotiator for a while before I got, I was invited to go through Harvard Law School's negotiation class. I went, I was the only non-student and the only FBI agent to ever go through. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and then when I, as I'm going through the people up there, they saw it more, more clearly than I did. I, I work with some phenomenal people up there. They were instructors and taught me Sheila Heen, uh, being primarily, primary above them, author of a phenomenal book called, um, difficult conversations. 
And uh, she said, look, you know, uh, what you're doing is the same as what we're doing. This, the only difference is the stakes. So, I, you know, I learned from them. I, you know, I bought in after I'd been there for a while. And then I thought, you know, this is, this is a new direction. This is too cool. It's too much fun to do this stuff. <laughs> uh, so I started applying it to business and personal stuff and ended up with the book just, uh, just this year. It came out in May. In May. And the, uh, the interesting part is, so, all right, so I have a limit. Being military, I have no idea what you do as a hostage negotiator. I, I can make assumptions. Saw stuff on TV. I don't know if you like that correlation or not you know, CSIs and all this stuff where you get someone going in. Um, I have some basic assumptions of the correlation of what you did in the FBI and how it applies to the business world. And I think even in your book, it says it's for the boardroom and the home. Um, so yeah. what, help me and the listeners understand what, what are you transferring over? What are the skills that we're missing out on or, uh, the techniques that would be that you've proven to be valuable in your in your role with the FBI that can be applied in the boardroom that can be by, applied by a, an entrepreneur, a business owner, or even a parent, or uh, you know, in the home home front. Well, it's listening between the lines. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's strategic, tactical listening. You begin to break down uh, and know where to look in what someone says for what's really driving them, because whatever's driving them is going to continue their momentum in one direction or another. Okay. And so, um, you know, it's it's weaponized empathy, if you will, military grade empathy. You know, we 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 just been this empathy thing, which I know bores everyone to death. We've been doing it for too long not to have learned from it. So I know that um, you're driven by your passions uh, and your passions are going to do, and, and those are what you care about. And that's going to fundamentally affect your decision-making. Every single decision you make is based on what you care about, which by definition then makes decision-making a passion slash emotional process. Yeah. So I know what those components are, you know, positives and negatives for lack of a better term. The other thing that we've learned, which is completely counterintuitive is the negatives. The reasons why you don't do it, won't do something. Um, have anywhere from three to nine times the impact on your decision making as opposed to why you will do something. Okay. So uh, the, then that that switches up the approach. I know that if I can just find a way to diminish the, diminish or remove the negatives, you're more likely to make the deal. So, and what does that what does that look like? Well, what that looks like is I'll say to you, I got a lousy proposition for you, and then I'll go dead silent. Now, if we proceed at all, then no matter what I say after that, because I give, I knowing how the brain works, I'm going to give that enough time to bang around in your brain. Yeah. I know whatever I say after that's going to be actually be a relief to you because of, because of the caveman brain amplifying the negatives. When I say get a lousy proposition for you, you're going to say, you want my house, you want my wife, you want my car, you want my kids. You know, you're going to amplify that so that, and then when I say what it is, you, you, in your head, you'd be like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Okay. I get it. And you're already pre predisposed to cooperate. I get it. So little things like that, the black swans. <laughs> um, I, have a lousy, uh, I like that. I have a lousy proposition. 
uh, I, I wish I went through your training. I was in medical sales for 15 years and I wish I went through your training because it would have been valuable. When we, uh, when I coach with people and, and Tom, uh, Tom Cunningham, uh, the owner of the show is a Napoleon Hill certified instructor and Napoleon Hill uh, writes through Think and Grow Rich a lot about auto-suggestion and how you are programmed. And I coach utilizing some material from Bob Proctor and others uh, in the self-development arena. And they do talk about paradigms or, or habits that you have developed over the years uh, imposed by others oftentimes. And to your point about um, certain things that you do, um, your, your, the way you're conditioned uh, any change outside of that is going to be very difficult to do. And, and I think you said you're upwards of nine times is uh, locked into doing it a certain way, even though logically uh, it may make sense to go a different way. Um, so you kind of play in that arena, play in their mind as far as how they're conditioned, how they're programmed. You hear it in what they say. And, and through questions, they kind of reveal their mindset and what's important to them. And then you empathize with them and, and tease that out to come to an agreement. It sounds like. Yeah. And, and, and empathy is, is really a much more strategic approach. I mean, it's such an overused word and mis misused word. I mean, it's almost, it's almost it's been overused and, and it's almost as bad as the word value. Yeah. You know, make your value proposition. Words become so overused that they use their meaning lose their meaning, people pay lip service to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, you know, in the book, I just, you know, it's tactical empathy. We know, we know too much now to just throw it out there as a word as if it were a blanket that was going to make everything better. Okay. Um, for the business person listening, any uh, particular skills that you can tease out um, that may be highlighted in your book that uh, they can take away from this meeting before they go buy your book? Uh, from this interview that before they go buy your book and i uh, i purchased your well on the way coming from amazon thank you very much amazon uh, uh you know jeff bezos uh you get the best price on stuff you know you you spend more money at other places i don't i i wish i owned stock in amazon i don't they just that's the best price for the book um all right so i'll tell you i'll tell you the pitfalls the things okay. that uh, may, uh um Mask is fake agreement. Now, we already know that maybe is no in disguise. Um, most people have come to learn that yes is maybe, which is no in disguise. But I think the one that trips people up most is when someone looks at you and says, you're right. That's a killer. Um, that is one of the worst, one of the most common uh, no in disguises or fake agreement that's out there. Um, when somebody says you're right to you, they want you to stop talking. They like you. They want to maintain a relationship with you, but they want you to stop talking and leave them alone. So what you say to people when someone won't leave you alone and you need them to go away, you look them in the eye and you say, you're right. And they get real happy and they go away. Um, yeah. I, I had CEO, I sat next to it at dinner a couple of months ago, said, thank God I read your book because I was had all my senior executives assembled and I was trying to get people on the same sheet of music on the right strategy. And I knew that they were all off. And one of them looked at me and said, Bosh, you're right. And I went, Oh my God, I'm so far off track here. I need to stop the meeting. <laughs> if my, if my team is asking me to shut up, 
then I am on the wrong track. And he stopped the meeting and he went back and he looked at everything again. He talked to people one at a time and he got his point across because your right is a kiss, is a kiss of death. It's, um, you, you know who the best practitioners of your right are in the entire world? Uh, Husbands, <laughs> Husbands, yeah, spouses. Yep. There you go, right? Yeah. So I, what, I can see it. What, you need, what you need to get instead is that's right. right. You know, and you have to hear the difference and you have to know how to get a that's right. You have to be able to almost sound like you're agreeing with the other side, but you'll demonstrate clearly that you appreciate and you're not afraid to say what their perspective is. Like you're not afraid to say to somebody, uh, I'm sure it seems like I've been a real bully here. I'm sure it seems like I haven't listened to you. Or I'm sure I'm, it seems like I haven't taken your perspective into account. And you have a legitimate perspective. It's not being afraid to say stuff like that, knowing that appreciation is not agreement. Appreciation is just appreciation. Yeah. And sometimes there's some verbal cues, like you're saying, when you hear you're right to the person's withdrawing from the conversation. Yeah. Great point. I mean, whoever's listening in their workplace today, if you see two people talking intently and one of them saying you're right, the person who's saying you're right is always leaning back. And you can just imagine that they're trying to hold their hand up in the other person's face. Yeah. And that, you know, those are the nonverbals you were just talking about. Interesting. Wow. And this applies uh, in the home front too. Like, how about uh, how about a parent with a child? Is that more challenging because of the development age of a child? You know, um, a child's brains start to kick in about enough so that you can use some of these negotiation skills with them. Probably about five, six, seven years old. Okay. Um, I know that um, uh, my co-author, Tal Raz, who's a genius, read anything that Tal Raz wrote. If Tal Raz wrote a thank you note, read that. <laughs> He's just a brilliant writer. And uh, his sister is reading the manuscript while we're working on it. And she was like, wow, I'm gonna try some of this stuff on my nine-year-old right now. And she called him back and said, it completely worked. <laughs> so that's at about the age where you could start kicking this stuff in. And it works with teenagers. Uh, you know, it's good communication and some of it is passive aggression. You know, kids practice passive aggression on us. We can put it on them too. Why not? Absolutely. <laughs> and I got a, uh, I have a 20 year old and a 23 year old. So that's going to be my uh, training ground. Uh, I should have had this sooner because we have uh, a certain dance set in place already on how we communicate. And uh, I'm about to shake it up with your book. They're not going to like you. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> and also when I talk to people uh, with coaching, sometimes they want to change, but um, the idea of change is, is scary. You know, they start to worry and they, they stay in a comfort zone. They don't want to move out. So then they start defending the exact same thing that they're complaining about and they want to change in the first place. And uh, I can they are tactics being very valuable to me in those settings when I talk with people. Excellent, excellent. Those people are addicted to their limitations, aren't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, my next question I was going to ask, and I think we kind of talked about, it, is the mindset. Uh, people need to change their mindset first. Um, Jim Rohn stated, for things to change, you have to change. 
and there's a mindset that you have to adjust and that's what you've been describing all this time is people have certain things that they value and uh, they may be in a compromising situation and they need to let that go and through your conversation with them you're able to in, in, in a, so you're, you're not face to face. You're oftentimes over the phone in a negotiating situation. I would assume. Is that correct? You know, all of the above, um, today's society being what it is and travel, you know, t- tremendous time pressures. We rarely go see each other. So yeah, we talk on the phone. We send emails. Okay. We prefer to talk on the phone. We get the chance. Yeah. So, so they're not reading any other, and even during the FBI, they're, that would oftentimes be over a phone situation. I'm guessing. There's an old saying that a hostage negotiator never got shot over the phone. <laughs> uh, so they're not reading your, your nonverbals. So what you say really has to be compelling to them to change their mindset and get them to feel comfortable or make them feel as if they have an out without major embarrassment or I don't know if there's an ego involved in, in it, I would assume to a degree, but you need to get them. They need through your words, they need to see light in a tunnel that they can walk down peacefully and uh, resolve the situation. Um, yeah. You, you know, you're trying to startle them in a good way, you know, startle them into attention. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so your book, uh, all, all of your experiences came together. I never split the difference and it has a variety of techniques and tactics that you've shared um, and probably give example of, um, so someone who buys your book today, and again, uh, Amazon is one place that I found it. Uh, is there other places that someone can find it? Uh, it's in, it's in Barnes and Noble. It's, uh, it's, a, it's at all, all the regular retail outlets. You know, I went with a great publisher, Harper business, Harper Collins. Okay. And, uh, they got, they got great distribution. So, um, if, if they don't have it in stock at your local brick and mortar store, it can be ordered. Wonderful. Uh, and again, it's called never split the difference. And, um, your website is blackswanltd.com. Yes, sir. That, exactly right. Is it uh, available off of your website as well? Well, we've got the links to the outlets. Okay. Fair on, enough. on, uh, on our, on our website, yeah. We definitely want foot traffic across your website. So, again, uh, blackswanltd.com is uh, Chris's website. So, please visit there as well. Um, what and we've got, if, if I can add, if I can yeah. add, and I apologize for the interruption, but we've got free stuff there, too. You know, we've got different different short uh, white papers that will help you get better at negotiation. We've got a, a once-a-week blog that comes out called The Edge. Okay. Uh, that, okay. that gives people... Um, uh, negotiation hints, and that's complimentary, uh, you know, which is free. Uh, an old, old friend of mine used to love to say, if it's free, I'll take three. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's a complimentary blog that, that'll help people get better at negotiation. Very digestible stuff in there. Wonderful. I appreciate that. I love always receiving stuff like that. I try to read and consume as much as I can. Um, what can the readers expect from your book? What can they get? What what are they after reading the book? Um, definitely a um, introductory um, experience of applying these skills, or do you give pretty good examples on how to best apply these so they can get pretty comfortable with them? 
In the first five pages, you're going to see the best way in the world to say no that triggers the other side into uh, capitulating or giving you a counter-offering and giving you a better offer. First five pages. The, uh, yeah, the book is set up to be digestible um, and entertaining read. It's fun to read. People get through it quickly. A lot of people said, you know, they read it more than once, once because they enjoyed it so much. And right. I got through it so quickly. So it's very, it's very actionable. And, you know, I, I want you to have something you could use. It. And it's told in kind of a funny, interesting story from the very beginning. So every, every principal has got some sort of hostage negotiation story that, that, that bears it out. And then some, some actual examples of how this stuff worked in, in, in business or personal situations. So there's, you know, there's no doubt in your mind, it's very three, three-dimensional. It's not like reading encyclopedia or the dictionary to learn the language. <laughs> I understand. And if um, I skim the first part of your book where you're invited to sit down with uh, a gentleman and I think someone else joined you and you were ganged up and they put a recorder in front of you and I think your son was uh, part of the discussion. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Bob Manukin, who's a brilliant man, head of the program on negotiation at, Har- uh, at Harvard, Okay. I said, hey, you know, if I got your kid, if I got your kid, you know, how are you going to answer? And, and I said, well, you know, I kind of lulled them to sleep a little bit. We got into it. And, and, and in the book, I show you exactly what I said that sort of befuddled him a little bit, uh, perplexed him. Um, very cool. I'm excited to get the book. And so the services that you offer through the Black Swan Group um, seem to be pretty uh, – uh, diverse for a an organization to hire your services, and it looks like you speak as well. Do you want to talk upon that? Yeah, you know, um, I, I we have we're getting it out however we can. So we'll mm-hmm. give we give a company a focused half day training to three days. We've got internet based um, training that we offer people who want to go on self paced instruction. We've got short little white papers. We've got the blog that comes out once a week. You know, I, I come out to companies and I'll do an hour presentation. Um, I go, I talk at conferences. Um, we've been doing this long enough so that we've got enough flexibility, whether you're an individual with your company, whether you're a conference. You know, we can help you get better. We can share some ideas. And you can have some fun while you're doing it. I mean, it's got to be fun. It has to be enjoyable or you won't learn. You learn faster when things are fun. Oh, absolutely. I would agree on that. Um, and some of the things you talked about that you can help a company with, save money. Everyone loves to save money. Uh, secure and close better deals. Um, and then obviously solve uh, communication challenges, probably externally as well as internally with teams. Uh, as you gave an example, yeah. boss talking with his yeah. team, uh, which is extremely important. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm excited about getting the book um, and, and the services you do. And like I said, I, gosh, I w- it would have been so much fun to have you. Uh, I've been to so many trainings when I was in um, medical sales. And we've had people come in and oh, it would have been so much fun to have you come in and, and talk to us, um, to the sales team. Um, so uh, what, one thing uh, or sort of one of the last questions I kind of want to ask you is in, in what you did with the FBI, there's a certain – um, confidence you have to have as a negotiator. And then even in a business setting, there's a certain confidence that you have to have in order to negotiate and 
kind of follow through with your game plan. And sometimes in a business setting, it doesn't pan out and you learn from it and, and you move on. Um, anything that you did to, cause what you did in the FBI, I mean, you're the guy, you're the guy on the phone. You're, you're resolving, you're tr- working on resolving this situation in the least lethal way um, with the words that you choose. And there's a confidence that are, is behind that. How did you develop that in you? Have you always had that? And then for the business owner or salesman or parent um, out there trying to apply these skills, any suggestions you can give them as far as the confidence behind the, the techniques or tactics that you offer? Yeah, um, uh, 67. What's that? 67. And let me explain that. Um, Confidence in the process. And I I heard a great speaker uh, talk just the other day, and and he clarified some of this for me. You know, how long does it take to form a good habit? How how many repetitions, if you will? And he said that the number is somewhere between uh, 65, 66 times. Mm -hmm. So if you want to look, I became confident in the process. I didn't know how long that took. You know, you want, you, want to, you want to start a new habit. Like, how long is it going to take me to pick this up? How long do I got to stick at it? So just little things. Uh, each little negotiation skill you want to learn, we, got, we have a skill called labels where you say to somebody, well, it sounds like this is important to you. It seems like you like. It seems like you don't like. It seems like this is how you feel. That's, that's what's called a label. Um, and that's the, the single most powerful skill in the negotiation arsenal. Okay. Because it's very subtle. It's reading between the lines. Um, if you make yourself do that and start your conversations before you make your point, uh, it seems like X, Y, Z is important to you. If you do that three or four times a day, somewhere along 12 days in, it's going to become unconscious competence where you're really going to hear so the the practice set the repetition of this any new skill you 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 remind yourself to continue to do it in all your little conversations somewhere inside of two weeks you're going to have it nailed so how long does it take to pick this up and then become confident in the process because then in the meantime of trying it all those times or 67 times which only takes about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Some crazy good things are going to happen. People are going to say really insightful things to you. You're going to make better deals. You're going to have better conversations. People will enjoy talking to you. So the entire experience of that 67 repetition journey is not going to be work. It's actually going to be a lot of fun. And then you'll get confident in the process and you'll sit down at a negotiation knowing you've got these great new different approaches where people make deals with you. Very cool. Uh, yeah, 67. Uh, and um, I listened to Ty Lopez and he talks, he has 67 steps and he talks about uh, how long it takes to form a habit. And I think that's on average. So some people obviously will take longer, some people will take shorter, uh, but you are absolutely right. And repetition is, what do they say? The mother of skill or the mother of all skill? So, um, repetition is a mother skill. Yeah. Yeah. And I like Ty Lopez too. I think he, he's an interesting guy. Um, brilliant guy. I, I, I read his book recommendations. I, I, I get a kick out of him. Yeah. And I'm actually in the process of, um, I listen to different things in my car, uh, Bob Proctor being one of them. 
uh, the readings of Napoleon Hill's work, as well as uh, Ty Lopez. And right now I'm listening to Ty Lopez and his 67 steps that he offers. Um, so what you're basically saying is this is uh, your book is going to introduce new things to people uh, that they may not have done before. They may feel uncomfortable with it, but the goal is to push over that, uh, push through that uncomfortable feeling and just start trying it and experience, experiencing in non crucial situations. It could be a talk with your spouse. It could be a talk with a friend and you are incorporating these skills, maybe the labels um, in the dialogue and you'll get more comfortable with it. You'll find out where it works or it doesn't work. And it will be long. It won't be long before you're sort of an unconscious competent uh, where it's just natural and it's just happening. And like you're saying, yeah. Yeah. you'll start experiencing different outcomes in uh, in a whole new road. Um, how many skills total? Uh, and I apologize. I, uh, I, I, I don't have your book and I didn't get a chance to read it yet. How many skills do you offer in the book? Well, you know, there's a, there's a total of nine skills. Now, okay. some of them is stuff we already know. And so it's going to be a confirmation that some of the things you're already doing is good. Um, the one, the one that's going to be, there's two that are kind of the most counterintuitive and are called labels and mirrors. And those are the ones that, that take the repetitions, uh, and the others will fall into place. Okay. The others are pretty, pretty simple, supplemental supportive skills. The labels and the mirrors are the two. And when we come out and we talk to a group, if I'm only going to give you a half a day of training, we're going to drill the labels and mirrors. So that by the time the half day is over, you're, you got a significant jump on your 67 repetitions and you're already making great things happen. So, <laughs> You like doing it anyway, right. um, but there, yeah, there are there are a total of nine. I gotcha. All right, very good, Chris. Anything that we didn't talk about, you want to share with the audience? Yeah, can I? Uh, I'll give you a, people a shortcut to sign up for the Edge if they want to. A great yeah, shortcut. Right Let's do that. If if you text the words "That's right" with no spaces and no punctuation, again, no apostrophe, no spaces, just. T-H-A-T-S-R-I-G-H-T. No apostrophe, no spaces. Text that's right to the number 22828. And that number again is 22828. That'll sign you right up for the uh, the edge. And it'll also give you access to other training we've got going on. We do one-day open enrollment training sessions. We're doing one in Los Angeles in the end of March. And we do them all over the country. And it's just a lot of good free complimentary stuff to help you get better. That's awesome. So uh, text that's right. One word to two, two, eight, two, eight, and uh, you'll get the edge and I will be doing that right after our call. And uh, you're with the black swan group. Your website's black swan ltd.com. And you are the author of never split the difference. I uh, make sure you uh, purchase that book today. It sounds uh, very intriguing. I'm anxious to get it myself and read it. Uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, Chuck. I have really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you Absolutely. very much. And I want to put a thank you out to Tom Tutal Cunningham for allowing us to have this opportunity to share. And I wish uh, all the listeners well and have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details.